doing now. So that's the important thing here. See if I can get this corridor unwrapped. Feel like I'm gonna get tangled up in here. All right. So once again, good evening. I'm Levi Jackson. Uh, some of you know me. Some of you may not know me. Um, of course, as far as um, our church, a Wimpen Place. Of course, we go back a long time, <laughs> a um, uh, long, long time. Probably, probably longer than I've been around. I guess, right, Brother Phil? <laughs> um, but I've always known this church as, you know, a sister church, and for a long time, more like a second home church because we were here so much back and forth. But the last time I think I preached here was, um, I bet you it was close to 20 years ago. At a, at a youth conference we had here. Um, so it's been a long time, maybe maybe 15 years ago, I don't know, something like that. But me and Tim grew up playing you know, football against each other a lot on Saturdays, uh, our church, your church, and all that stuff. But for those of you who uh, haven't seen in a long time, it's great to see you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, now you know my name, and, well, nice to meet you. <laughs> so, uh, Brother Bob actually lives on Pippin, right? I mean... And I pass his house every day, multiple times, and I always go, hey, there's Brother Bob's house. <laughs> and you may or may not know that I live close to you, I don't know, but what's that? Yeah, I, I used to toot at you a lot, uh, you know, and after 21 years of living there, I just lost my toot. <laughs> now I just say, hey, there's Brother Bob's house. <laughs> so anyways, good to see you guys, really good to be here, um, good to be back at Wenton Place, and I was telling Brother uh, Tim before the services start, um, it was uh, Thursday evening. Um, I got home from work a little late, and I looked at my text and had a text, and it says, uh, most excellent Levi. <laughs> I don't know anybody. You should, I asked my wife, I said, I don't know who starts a text out like that. And it says, I'm out on vacation. Uh, basically, can you preach for me Sunday night? And I'm thinking, I looked at my wife and said, I don't know who this text is from. And I'm, I'm just going through all of the pastors in my head that I know. I'm like, well, maybe one of these other ones got a new number I didn't know. And then I got to thinking, actually, I think she might have said it first. She's like, well, maybe it's uh, Brother Danny. I said, maybe it is. So I texted my brother-in-law, Kenny. You guys, like, you guys know Kenny. And I said, what's Danny's number? And he texted me back Danny's number. Sure enough, it was Danny. So uh, you guys can make fun of him for his... Uh, anonymous text, and I had to, do, had to do all the detective work myself to figure out where I was going to go. <laughs> um, but I, I never turned out an opportunity to preach, so if you guys don't like it, blame your pastor for that, because he's the one that asked. Anyways, uh, let's get into uh, the message uh, this evening. Uh, the title of the message is The Christian To-Do List, and we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, um, and this is nothing elaborate. This is nothing new. Um, you know, we have our Sunday night, um, you know, congregation here, our Sunday night attendees, and every church has their Sunday morning crew, their Sunday night crew, and their Wednesday night crew, right? Um, so this is just a message geared more towards, you know, our Sunday night uh, backbone of the church crew. Um, like I said, nothing, it's nothing elaborate, uh, but I believe, of course, it's good for us as the children of God. So let's go ahead and pray. Uh, before we get in uh, this evening. Our great Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you so much, Lord, for, uh, Lord, the time being here this evening. Uh, Lord, just the ability to, uh, Father, come into your house and, uh, Lord, sing praises unto your name. What a, what a wonderful God you are, Lord. The, 
one true God, our creator, the creator who loved us so much, he sent us his son to be our savior. Lord, we thank you for it, Father. And as, as Christians, Lord, as children of yours, I pray that, Lord, we do have desire to see souls saved, that we present that gospel of those who are lost, Lord, that we might see souls saved. Lord, um, we just uh, lift up uh, those that are sick to you, Lord. I know every church has them, and Lord, we all have uh, those in our heart that are heavy, or I'm sorry, our hearts that are heavy for those that are sick, and Lord, we just lift those up to you, Lord. We would love to see them healed, Father, if it is your will. Lord, as, uh, as we go in our services tonight, Father, I would pray that, Lord, as the word is preached, Lord, that you would speak to us, Father, uh, uh, Lord, as a uh, uh, body of believers that's gathered together to worship you, Lord, and, Father, of course, to hear the preaching, for Father, Lord, that as a result, uh, Lord, the, the word would draw us closer to you, Father. And Lord, if there's any here tonight that's not saved, of course, uh, Lord, we would ask of you, Lord, that we would see the Spirit work in them and whether they would receive Christ as their Savior, Lord, and their soul add be unto the kingdom of heaven, Father. Lord, we praise the name of your Son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, like I said, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 8 and 9. The title of the message, once again, is The Christian To-Do List. And um, I don't know about uh, you guys, but um, it's true that every Christian has a to-do list, isn't it? Um, there's things that we're supposed to do. There's things that we're commanded to do. There's things that uh, us as individuals, we might be called to do or we might be convicted to do, but this is just a generic list of what a Christian's to-do list might look like. And, you know, even though, uh, you know, even though we're saved uh, by grace, even though that, you know, we're not saved of the th- because of the things that we do, um, but we are saved unto certain things. Amen? We are saved unto certain things. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, and starting here verse 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are saved unto something. And once again, I said this isn't going to be a, a, a revelation for most of us. This is going to be something new for most of us. But this is something that, as Christians, we should hide close to our hearts. And that's simply this, that it was by grace that we're saved. It had nothing to do with us. And it's simply that we are saved unto something, and that something is good works. Saved unto our good works. It says, not of yourself, of course, uh, lest any man should boast. But it's by grace that we're saved. It's through faith that we're saved. It has nothing to do with us. Our salvation isn't of us, but it's a gift from God. Amen? And in verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. As a Christian, you should walk in your good works. We should have a walk that includes our works. Amen? This is what our walk should be. So, in reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, we'll use that as our text first. And like I said, we're going to look at a little list here. We're going to look at a little list of what it might be that we are expected to do. Once again, I say it's not going to be anything new or revealing to us. It's just something that we can hide close to our hearts and, and you know, reiterate to us as Christians because I know I need it. Firstly, we're going to look at love. We're going to look at love Christ. So not just a general sense of love, but we're going to look at simply our love as Christians for Christ. Because if you would, if you was to raise your hand and you was to say, yeah, that's me, I'm a Christian, then 
we better love Christ. Amen? Uh, being a Christian may involve loving Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you wouldn't mind. And I'm sorry, um, I don't know what you, what, what you might be used to. I use a lot of verses. Um, so, uh, if at some point you get tired of flipping, I'm going to read them anyway. <laughs> so, either way, you're going to hear them. Um, I try not to just say them, but I try to typically read them at the same time. And, and uh, uh, I'm also one of those people where, uh, so I've been preaching since I was 16 years old. Some of you may know that. But, um, and I've had my fair share of people who will come up to me after service and say, hey, when you say that verse, give me just a minute or two to get there <laughs> before you start reading it. So I tried to repeat it a few times, uh, mainly that's my wife's husband, <laughs> or my wife's, uh, my wife's father. Uh, when he first started coming to church and, and all that, uh, he would always tell me after I preached, would you mind giving me a minute to get that first before you start reading it? So I try to do that. Um, sometimes I make small talk just to do that. So uh, once again, John chapter 14, and we'll read here in verse 15, a real short verse here. Uh, Jesus Christ says, if ye love me, he says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. So as Christians, we, we better have a, a love for Christ. And if you have a love for Christ, what does Christ say? If you love me, if you love me, he says, keep my commandments. Well, the Bible's full of commandments. It's, they're all over the place in there. They're in the Old Testament. Of course, we all know about the, we all know about the, um, you know, the Ten Commandments. They're in the New Testament. We all know about the two great commandments over there in Mark, which is where we're going to go next. So if you want to start turning to Mark chapter 12, we're going to read verses 29 and 31. But remember what Christ says here, because it's a plain statement that says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. So as Christians, we should be concerned with keeping the commandments of Christ. Once again, we can go back to our text verse. Keeping the commandments, it's not what saves us. Salvation has nothing to do with us as Christians keeping the commandments of Christ. It has nothing to do with keeping the Ten Commandments back there in Exodus chapter 20. But it has everything to do with loving Christ. Amen. So, over here in Mark, Mark chapter 12, I mean, that uh, furnace goes off and everything gets louder, doesn't it? Or the, the air, anyways. Air goes off. Everything gets a lot louder. I'm hearing myself more clearly, and I'm deaf in one ear, so, you know, that's uh, maybe I'm being too loud. But uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, starting here in verse 29, Christ says this, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. So we can see here, Christ proposes the first commandment. And why is it the first commandment? Because it starts out with loving God. Christians, we have to love God. Our works should show our love in God, because our works should involve keeping those commandments of Christ. And look what he says here, In verse 31. And the second is like namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Here's a quick summarization of these two great commandments. Love Christ. And because Christ loves, love others also. Okay? Yeah, that's simple. 
It's that simple. Love Christ, and because Christ loves, love others also. I preached a message one time called The, the Neighbor, and I always like to point this out in this verse, of course, because um, especially with our current situation where our neighbors tend to live on top of us, right? I mean, uh, I mean, where we live at, uh, you know, if you're looking at my house, 10 feet to the left is that neighbor, and then 10 feet to the right is my other neighbor. I mean, they're right there on top of us. So when we look at neighbors and we think of neighbors, we always think about those people who live right next to us or right across from us or right behind us because we're all stacked on top of each other. But our neighbor is anybody. Our neighbor is our fellow human being. The, the man or the woman that you see on the street. The, the man or the woman that, that, that you see at the restaurant. The one who may be uh, uh, your server at a restaurant. Uh, but anywhere. Our neighbor is our fellow people that we come in interaction with every single day. That's our neighbor. Those are the ones that should see the love of Christ in us. So that first thing on that list is to love Christ. And i got to be honest, I don't think it should be hard to love Christ. I don't think so. And I don't think it should be hard to show your love for Christ. I don't. And maybe, maybe, maybe somebody would disagree with me, but I don't think it should be hard to show those two things. I don't think people should say, you know what, I'm not sure if he, he or she loves Christ or if they don't. But instead, they should, they should say, hey, that Tim Gossett got no doubt his love for Christ. I've known Tim for a long time. I don't have a doubt for Tim's love for Christ. Uh, like you said, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but I've known him for a long time. I have no doubt Tim's love for Christ. Walk in here tonight, and here Tim is still serving God. I think my wife even asked me, does Tim still go there? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I know Uncle Phil does. <laughs> But to walk in and to see brothers and sisters serving Christ, I don't have a doubt that we gather here tonight as we love Christ. And then those people that, that know us outside of church shouldn't have a doubt that we love Christ. Let's love Christ the way that he asks us to love him. And you know what? We already looked at it, but because John chapter 14 and verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments, number two is this, it's obey Christ. Well, we're not going to go back to the verse we already looked at. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 18 We'll start here in verse 16. He says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of of righteousness. So what does a servant tend to do? A servant tends to obey whoever they are serving. Right? There's no doubt that we should have a desire to be obedient unto Jesus Christ. 
And look at the bottom of verse 16. Or of obedience unto righteousness. So what we see here, Paul's writing to the Romans, as he says, whoever you're obedient to, that's who you love. That's who you serve. That's a better way to put it, because that's the way he said it. But that's who you serve. Whoever you're obedient to, that's who you serve. And I'm going to speak to us as adults here. And by us, I mean me. Because you can ask my kids, there's nothing that gets me hotter, faster than these two little kids disobey. I mean, it lights me up like that. I have a 10-year-old daughter and a 7-year-old son. And I guess they're just, when they disobey, I just, you know, I, I've had enough of it. And they know that. That's why she's laughing. But they know that. But we don't hold ourselves to that same standard with, with our Father in heaven. We say, well, if we, if we disobey here, it's okay. Or we try to talk our way into it or way out of it. Or we try to make it make sense, right? So we don't always hold ourselves to the same standard we may hold our kids. But it's the same relationship. Our Father in heaven has the same relationship as we do with our kids. He's actually the picture, right? He's the, he's the role model to follow how we should love our kids. So as adults, let's remember how important obedience is and what obedience shows, which is simply who we serve. It's who we serve. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll start reading here in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. And I love Matthew chapter 6. Because the bottom of this verse, which we'll read, just makes me laugh. Because if you think back to other scriptures and you put them together, uh, we'll go over it. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And it's so poor, it's in, that whole, in that whole verse right there, it's a pretty long verse in comparison, but... In that whole verse, it's important to take out this word, this last word, mammon. Take that word mammon, pull it out, let's define it. Because mammon was the God of riches. So we cannot serve Christ and riches. Can't do it. Straight from the, the mouth of Christ. We can serve Christ, we can obey Christ, we can love Christ, but we can't love another. We can't. We can't serve another. Our material things and the great things of this world cannot be in a higher place than Christ. Christ has to be the highest, okay? And then everything else falls underneath. I remember being in a Sunday school class when I was really, really small. Um, I think it was, uh, at that time, her name would have been Esther Moreland. Maybe some of you know her. Now she's married to a missionary, um, Esther Mark Lawrence, Esther Lawrence, maybe. I think it's Esther Lawrence. But she was my Sunday school teacher. And I remember her saying this. She said, all Christians should know what joy means. 
because joy means Jesus and then others and then yourself. And that's the way it should be. Jesus at the top, and then your neighbors, then others, and then yourself. That's how we should serve. We should serve Jesus first, then others, and then ourselves. But that's the only order. That's the only order given. It has to be Christ first. Now I want to go ahead and look at this verse 25 on through the end of this chapter pretty much here. It says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than there? I love these verses because it gives you a picture of how simple it is for, for Christ to show us what we, who we are and what we mean to God. Doesn't it? Because he's proposing a question here. Look at the, look at the, look at the, look, look at the animals. Look at the fowl of the air. Look at what they do. They don't know any better to do anything else, but God still provides for them, is what, he's, is what he's saying there. In verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. He still takes care of them. Are ye not much better than they? The answer to that question, of course, is yes. Yes, we are much better than they. We are above all the animals. Amen? We don't serve animals. Animals serve us. So the simple answer to that question he proposes is yes. Yes, we are better than that. And then let's look at the rest of that. Verse 27. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? I love that question because everybody wants to be taller, right? I mean, rarely do you find somebody that's even like six foot that's like, yeah, I'm good with being six foot. But no. Everybody probably wants to be taller. Anybody in here over six foot? Maybe one of you two. You guys seem taller. How tall are you, brother? Six three? Tall man. <laughs> are you happy with six three? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I took a shot in the dark. I was hoping you would say no. <laughs> but it's kind of true, right? Nobody's really happy with how tall they are. And Jesus asked this question, which of you could just add a cubit to your stature? Which of you can just be taller if you want to? It's such a, a, a ridiculous question, but it has so much meaning behind it. Because, um, I mean, like in eighth grade, I was like five, on my eighth grade physical for football, it said 5'11 and 7 eighths. And I'm 41, so we're talking about a long time ago. Okay? And I never grew another centimeter after that. <laughs> never. But I always wanted to be another foot taller. <laughs> always. I remember being, I broke my foot in seventh grade. In seventh grade, I was like already like five foot nine. And uh, I went and got my, my x-ray and all that stuff. And the doctor was like, hey, you know, your, your foot's broke. That's bad news. But he's like, you see all this? He's like, you're going to be like six foot seven. He's like, tell me how tall I'd be. Because I had these growth plate spaces and all this stuff that I can't explain to you now. But he had me, he, he had, I had a false hope. <laughs> Uh, I mean, of course, at that time, I'm like this huge basketball fan. It's all I did at the time. You know, football and basketball is all I ever did. Uh, right, Tim? <laughs> but, and now I'm like, I'm going to be six foot seven. I'm like, this is NBA right here, right? 
Well, never panned out. I, I never could dunk a basketball. I could dunk a volleyball. <laughs> I could never dunk a basketball. My hands didn't grow either. So point is, I would love to have been a foot taller or a cubit, you know. So I'd love to have been a cubit taller. That never, that never happened. Um, and I couldn't do it myself. I just couldn't add that extra foot to get me to the NBA. So obviously the answer is no, Jesus. We cannot just add a, 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 a cubit to our stature. And look at verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, remember how amazing uh, uh, Solomon was as a king, but even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had nothing on the fields that God created. Amen. And he's painting a picture for them. He's simply just painting a picture. And then look in verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, so he went from animals, and now we're talking about grass, but if God so clothed the grass of the field, which uh, today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? As Jesus is here, and he's talking to his disciples, he's painting this picture for them of how much God uh, loves them and how he cares for them and how much better they are than the, the birds and the grass and the plants, even though those things are beautiful. I, for one, hate birds. If you're a bird lover, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I don't like them. Um, I mean, I can, I, I, I can, you know, appreciate a, a, a pretty flower, a pretty plant. You know, I, I can get on board with that. But he's saying, basically, look at how amazing those are. And you're so much higher than them. And God loves you so much more than that. Why, ye of little faith? Why? Look at verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewith all shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Let's take a step back from life for a second. And let's look at what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't worry about all these things that you think you want. Don't worry about all the things that you know you need. He's like, God's going to supply those things. We've all heard that, right? We've all heard God supplies all your needs. Matter of fact, we hear it so much that I think it even has a, a it just has a deeper meaning when we read it from God's word. Because we just hear everybody say it so much. Oh, don't worry. My mom used to say it all the time. But don't worry. You know, God supplies all your needs. Like, yeah, I know, because I've heard it a thousand times. I grew up in church. But when you read the words of Jesus, it should have a heavy punch behind it because Christ is saying, don't worry about it. God's going to supply it for you. And look at verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what's Christ saying here? All the things that you think you want, all the things that you think you need, don't seek those things first, but first, have faith in God. First, obey Jesus, is what he's saying. And those things will come. They'll fall in place. Everything will fall in place for you. 
So love Christ, obey Christ, of course, right? And the, those two things, I, I wanted to get those two things out of the way first because they kind of encompass everything, right? If you love Christ, then guess what? You're going to obey Him. So now we know loving Christ and obeying Christ is at the top of our list. Let's look at some of these little things that we should be doing on a daily basis anyway. So moving on here, go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5, here in verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16 reads this. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And this next part is so important. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I want to, once again, cherry pick a couple words out of this verse, and we're going to define them, and then we're going to reapply them, right? So, what does he say? The effectual, the effectual, Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word fervent means with intense passion. Okay? He's saying the effectual fervent with intense passion. The one who prays with intense passion. And then, of course, that word effectual. It means with an intentional desire. With, with an intentional desire. So, to pray with intention about something that you desire, but not, not just that, but, but to do it with a passion. Right? I feel like this verse in other parts of the world, and maybe coming to an America near you soon, but has has, a, has a, a, a more serious meaning behind it. Because we're so comfortable all the time. We're just so comfortable all the time, aren't we? I mean, look, uh, I'm able to just pick up my family on a Sunday night and drive 20 minutes to go to another church just, just because a brother was in need, right? That's not the case. I mean, you guys know, you guys have missionaries, we hear stories about missionaries in the Philippines who have, have members of the church that walk overnight to be at church in the morning. I bet you those people who walk overnight to be at church in the morning, I guarantee you they have this, this, this intense uh, um, uh, prayer and this, this purposeful prayer. And I bet you they pray with a passion because they're walking eight hours, 12 hours overnight to go serve God in his house. We hear about our missionaries from India, how their churches are being burned, how their people are being imprisoned, how their people are being beaten. You know what? I bet you their prayer is a lot different than ours, Brother Phil. I bet they are. We get letters from missionaries who are in prison. Missionaries who are losing their churches because the government's just taking their land. But we live 
nice, comfy, comfortable lives right now. And because of that, I don't know if our prayer has the same passion that it would if our lives weren't so comfy all the time. And here, I could be wrong about that. Because, you know what, I know we have prayer warriors in our churches. I know for a fact we do. I know that we have tons of people in our churches who pray and we see God's hand at work. I've talked to people who said, we're praying for this, we're praying for this, we're praying for that. And then you just see God blessing and working and all these things are happening. We've all seen it. If we've been in church any amount of time, we've seen what those prayer warriors can do. But I'm talking about as a collective body, I'm talking about how we're praying as a collective body in our churches, that it should be purposeful with intent and with passion. When's the last time our prayer brought us to our knees, literally? When's the last time our prayer brought tears to our eyes, literally? When's the last time that we kneeled before Almighty God, and poured ourselves out with a broken heart, with tears in our eyes, and just begging Him for whatever it is we're praying, or for just thanking Him for being an amazing God. And that's, a, that's an honest question for me. That's why I say we. When's the last time we've done this? Our prayer should be purposeful and with intent. We'll go, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. See, I think we just get caught up in our, once again, our comfy lives. And everything, we're so comfy, we're so complacent that it takes our mind off of certain things. Or we become forgetful about certain things. But look at 1 Timothy Chapter 2 and verse 8. I will therefore, look what Paul says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. He says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, I can speak for our church because I've been there since I was five years old. Do the math, it's 36 years (laughs) in the same church. And I'm not bragging. I'm I'm saying this make 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 a point. There's been a few times where I've seen people lift up their hands and pour themselves out to God. And I'm not saying, by the way, we don't do that. Maybe we do that in our prayer closets. That's awesome. That's great. Once again, I'm talking about a collective body here, right? But if we do, that's amazing because I believe we should. We should kneel before God. We should lift up holy hands to God when we pray. I don't think Paul's saying every time you pray... Lift up your holy hands to God. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because look what he says here. I will that, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Everywhere. We can pray everywhere. There's nowhere where we can't pray. I worked at Kroger, uh, my second job I ever had, and there was an older man named Ron. And I loved Ron because Ron was a Christian. Um, And even though at that time, I wasn't the best Christian (laughs) Uh, being 15 years old, but uh, I can remember times I went into the employee restroom and I would hear Ron in the stall next to me praying. And I can only imagine Ron was there lifting up holy hands to God. He'd be praying before his coworkers. 
He'd be praying for his family. He'd be praying for the people that were there. That man was praying everywhere. But he was faithful in his prayer. He was faithful in his prayer. We should be faithful in our prayer. Amen. So, love Christ. Obey Christ. Of course, have a a real prayer life. Pray for real. Moving on here, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read verses 15 through 16. Of course, pray. Fourthly, we're going to look at this. Read your Bible, right? It's really simple. Like I said, there's going to be no new revelations for any of us tonight. This is all simple things. But it's things that we have to do as Christians, that we should be doing as Christians. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Let me get there. I was in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm wondering why there was no 15 and 16. All right. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says, study to, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now we're talking about us as individuals here, but to study to show thyself approved unto God, God Almighty, right? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed of what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. As Christians, we have a duty to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, everybody's always going to be on a different level. We're all different. We're all different. I don't claim to know uh, everything in this book. I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't know how much of this I know. Probably not a quarter of what's in this book. I don't know. I don't know the percentage, but I know this. That I'm going to study it. I'm going to want to know what God's word says. That way, when there's a question asked, I can prove myself in the sight of God and not be ashamed for knowing the Bible. I don't know about you guys, but I can't tell you how many times since I've been working, which has been since 15 years old, that people have just come up to me with spontaneous questions. Hey, what does the Bible say about this? Sometimes somebody you never even talked to before. They just know, they know somebody who knows somebody that knows that you're a Christian. Uh, uh, I mean, I can remember times where just random people I never talked to. Hey, I heard you're a Christian. What does the Bible say about this? And wanting to have an answer for them. Desiring to have an answer for them. That's just a small example of one reason that we may want to have an answer for those who want to know more about God or God's Word. But look at the second part of that. But, but uh, in verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. As Christians, if you want to uh, uh, steer clear of falsehoods, then you have to know your Bible. We have to know our Bible. We have to know what God's Word says. We need to know the Old Testament, and we need to know the New Testament. Because, guess what? They're both fully applicable in our lives. And the Bible says to know the entire word of God. But we have to be able to shun those who have these profane and vain babblings. We have to know right and wrong according to God's word. Have to. It's not even an option. Not even an option. Paul's saying, hey, 
got to do it. We have to know. Look at Isaiah chapter 34, verse 16. Isaiah chapter 34, here in verse 16. It says, seek ye out of the book of the Lord, and do what? And read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate, for my mouth it hath commanded, and in his spirit it hath gathered them. Seek ye out the book of the Lord. I mean, we don't even have to do that, do we? Look, I got a Bible on here, like we all do, don't we? We all have a Bible on our phone. I've got a Bible here. i got one in front of me. When I go home, I can select between 18 different Bibles. Right? We have it at our fingertips. It's right here. We can, we can go anywhere in America and have the Word of God at our fingertips. But we neglect it. We don't read it. If we do read it, we don't study it sometimes. And then we don't know it. Isaiah says, seek ye out the book of the Lord. If you don't have it, seek it. Go find it. That word seek means to go and find. It's right there at our fingertips. The least we could do is study. It's available to us everywhere. Once again, when we read our missionary letters, when we look at our missionaries here in these foreign countries, they don't have it at the ready. You guys probably know Brother Bob Jones. What's he doing? He has this big push for Bibles for India, right? Because he wants all these Bibles to get into India. Because they don't have the Bible at their fingertips. Uh, you know, communist countries and other, uh, other countries even um, ban Bible apps on their phones. They can't have Bible apps in their app stores. They can't have it. Not everybody has the Bible at their fingertips. We do. Let's take advantage of it. Let's know the Word of God. So that was fourth thing. The fourth thing was read your Bible. Fifthly, spread the gospel. Look at Luke chapter 9. Let's go back over here to the New Testament. And don't say I didn't warn you. I like to use lots of verses, as you can tell. Luke chapter 9. Everybody needs a good thumb workout every now and then, don't we? Luke chapter 9, we're going to read verse 60. Luke chapter 9, verse 60 says this. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bear their dead, and go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And I selected that one verse because it solidifies the rest of the verses around it. We're not going to read all of those verses. If you want to, you can. Um, we probably already know them. But he's saying, let the, bed, let the dead bear their dead. There's no doubt. When people die, it can be a tragedy. It, it can be traumatic. But Christ says, let the dead bear their dead and go preach the kingdom of God. There literally is nothing more important than preaching the Word of God. And that doesn't mean preach as in stand up here and preach. There's no doubt. This is important. There's no doubt about it. But to present the gospel to those who are lost and they don't have it and they don't know it. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about taking opportunities to present the gospel. Taking the, the skills that God's given you to present the gospel. 
that we might just see one saved. We might just see one added unto the kingdom of heaven. Christ is saying, hey, just serve me first. Serve me first. First thing is, is me, Christ. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, preach the word. He says, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. You think so, huh? But after their own lust shall they keep to themselves teach or heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We look around us and we wonder why nobody wants to hear the gospel, don't we? Because I know how important the gospel is. We know how important the gospel is. And we look around us and we say, how come nobody wants to hear the gospel? How come nobody takes it serious? It's because the time has come. The time has come. The time has come where they will not endure what? Sound doctrine. Time has come. How long is that time? I don't know. I don't know. A day is to a thousand years, a thousand years is to a day to God. I don't know how, how long the time is. But I know this. The time has come. <laughs> and the time has been, from as, as far as I know. But here, we know that there is a time where this is going to happen. We know that this time is at least right now. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it. He says this, and they shall turn away their ears, in verse 4, from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. What do they say about the Word of God? It's just a bunch of fables. It's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of stories. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now, there's no doubt, Paul's talking to Timothy here. I'm not trying to say that Paul's talking to every single Christian, but you know what? Paul's talking to every single Christian. He's talking to Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, but these instructions are, for, are, are just as good for every Christian as they are for Timothy. We can't hide behind Timothy on this one. We can't just say, eh, Paul's talking to Timothy. There were two books, not really for me. No, because that was the case. Most of the Old Testament wouldn't apply to us, or most of the New Testament wouldn't apply to us, and pretty much all the Old Testament wouldn't apply to us. Because they were all written to specific groups of people. All right, moving on. <clears throat> we have love Christ, obey Christ. Of course, pray to God, <clears throat> read your Bible, spread the gospel. And this last one, once again, this isn't for the Sunday night crowd. But it's got to be on the list. <laughs> you can't have this list without putting it down there. Go to church, right? Go over, everybody knows this verse. Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I would love to read the entire book of Acts and throw that in there, but we don't have that much time really, do we? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Here, verse 25. It says this, Not forsake, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What's one of the main reasons we come to church? To assemble the body of Christ together. That's why a church is called the body of Christ, right? To assemble together, to do Christ's will together. But he says, do not forsake it. That word forsake means literally this, to not turn your back on something. Remember when Christ was on the cross? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as Christians, those words should break our hearts. As Christ hung on a cross, as he died on a cross, I should say, as he gave up his life on a cross, and he took on the sins of the world, God turned his back on him. He did. That's what the Bible tells us. A relationship that was eternal, that is eternal, that always has been and always will be, there was a point in time where God had to forsake because he took on the sins of the world. Christ did that. He says here in Hebrews, don't turn your backs on assembling together. Don't turn your backs on going to church. I can look, I can sit, I said, I said all the way back there. Brother, what's your name again? Six foot three guy? Evan. <laughs> so, Evan, I sit about four pews behind you in our church, and I see everything. And I can remember just 15 years ago, I could sit there, and the church was full on a Sunday night, or at least double what was there now. And now I sit back there, and I look at, I go, where is our church? What happened to our church? It's half of what it used to be. And I know that some of those are serving other churches now. I'm not talking about them people. I'm talking about those people who have turned their back on assembling together in God's house. We better not turn our back on God's house. Better not. Better not. In conclusion, we'll read one more uh, passage here. That's going to be Matthew chapter 6. On the way up here, my son said, how long are you going to preach? <laughs> I said, probably three hours. <laughs> I had to prepare him for the worst. So, little buddy, we're getting there. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start here in verse 19 in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or, doth, or rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I know we've all heard it a thousand times, but with this list that we just looked at, I have to end it with this. And I know it's almost to the point where it's cliche for us. But wherever our passion is, that's where our heart is. So if our passion is in our job, or our passion is in our money, or our passion is in our things, or some, some other organization even, and that's where our passion is, that's where our heart will be. Because where your treasure is, that's where your passion is. 
He says in verse 22, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. And this is where we... Uh, uh, start. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate that one and love the other, or else he will hold on to that one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Christians, let's, make a, let's take a stance. Let's make a choice that if we're serving two masters, we're no longer to serve two masters. If Christ wasn't at the top of our priority list, let's put Christ at the top of our priority list. If our passion wasn't in Christ, let's put our passion now in Christ. Brother Tim, let's have a song invitation. Now, Brother Tim apologized to me because he didn't have a piano player tonight, but it's been so long since I've heard Brother Tim sing. I'm good with that, brother. I've enjoyed your, I've enjoyed your, your singing. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll sing a song of invitation. Our God in heaven, Father, we do just thank you so much, Lord, for this time we've had together. Lord, we do thank you, Father, for your word and Lord, for the uh, unfallible uh, truths, Father, uh, that your word provides. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy, your grace and your kindness, Father, towards us. Lord, your, your blessing you bestow upon us every day. Father, the fact that, uh, Lord, we can read your word. And, uh, Father, as, as we looked at, Lord, it's at our fingertips, Father, just to, just to pick up and read anytime we want to. Lord, we can literally pull it out of our pocket and read your word anytime we want to. Any bad day we're having, Father, we can read your word. Hard times, Lord, we can read your word. We have an a avenue to you through Christ, Lord, that never closes. We can pray at any time, anywhere, just as Paul said. Lord, help us do these things as Christians. Help us be, be better servants, more faithful servants. Father, help our, our true passions to be found in Christ, Lord, and nowhere else, Father. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.